Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the practical, yeah, today on the practical preservation podcast, I have with me uh, Sarah Ward from uh, Ward Architecture, and is it and preservation or plus preservation? And preservation. And preservation. Yeah. I, I when I was typing that yesterday when I was preparing, I'm like, oh, I forgot, and then I forgot to ask what we were talking for. So no I'm worry. sorry. <laughs> um, so so thank you again for joining me today. You're welcome. Okay. So tell me about your background. Okay. And, and thank you, Danielle, for having me. I'm excited to get to do this. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so it's kind of fun to be a part of one. Um, I'm originally from Tennessee. I grew up in East Tennessee, and then we moved to, to Nashville, the big city, um, when I was about 10. And so I grew up there, and then I, I went to college at University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So I really am rooted in that state. But I moved to Savannah in 1999 and just really fell in love with the city and um that's really when I started preservation too I it really the city sparked something in me that um that has just grown since that time that I first visited here yeah. and um and I and I really I'm it's just that's been a big part of me. And I, I, when I first went off to college, I was going to be a fine arts major. And so I do still love to draw and paint and, and those sort of things. Um, but I, I studied art history because I really like to also research. Mm -hmm. um, and I think both of those things blend well into what I do now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've noticed that some of our best uh, craftspeople have art backgrounds. So mm -hmm. it, it makes sense to me that there's, there's you know, overlap there. And I, I think also that attention to detail too, you know, helps to that, that process. Um, so what, what drew you into preservation um, in Savannah? Yeah. So when I love, love fine arts degree, um, while I was doing that, pursuing that in college, I really started to get concerned about what sort of career I would have. And I think I got a little bit, um, shaken up, um, met a bus driver once who was also like, oh, I'm also a fine arts degree. Oh, no. like, oh God. Okay. I need to be more practical. And so then I moved to art history, which actually is not any more, <laughs> 
uh, career driven than than a fine arts degree. So when I graduated with that, all my professors said, well, you have to go to graduate school. That is the next step. Right. And so I started looking for graduate programs that were more hands on because I really missed that in mm-hmm. my fine arts. degree. I love the research and learning about old worlds and they blended architecture and art together too when I studied art history there. So I right. learned a lot about architecture, but I wanted a program that, that combined the hands-on with the, with the research part. And, um, and so looking at schools, I came to Savannah to look at the Savannah College of Art and Design. They had a historic preservation program that I had never really been exposed to before um, and I applied to several schools, but when I visited here, I knew that that was it. And the city itself just was a really good um, physical indicator of what preservation can really do for a community. And just, right. uh, it was, it, like I said before in the background part, but it, Savannah really sparked that in me. And, mm-hmm. and I knew I could definitely do something with this. And um, then going to school here too, it, I really taught me about what Savannah had done, how to do things. And so I was able to take what I learned here. Um, and then actually we moved around and, and, and used it in other towns, but just, um, I think that's why I think, I really think that this community embraced right. it and it was exposed to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think exposure is an important part of that because I think there's a lot of people that are preservationists that don't necessarily realize they're preservationists. Mm-hmm. And, and that then when you're exposed to it as an option, you know, for a career, then it becomes much more appealing. Mm-hmm. Correct. I agree. I had no idea that it was a discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so tell me about um, ward architecture and preservation. Okay. Um, we started this company or my husband actually started this company in 2010 during the economic recession. Yes. Um, he decided to go out on his own and um, created a full service architecture firm. Um, we do basically schematic plans all the way through um, permitting, construction documents, and then through um, construction as well. We're here to, to monitor projects if, the, if needed, if the client needs that. Um, licensed in Georgia and South Carolina. So we can do projects in both states. But then I joined the firm in 2013 and actually bought him out. And I took on this, this, this kind of focus. I uh-huh. won't say that we shifted, but we really just focused. He also has a master's in historic preservation. Um, so we really were able to just kind of bring that up to the top. And so we became right. word architecture and preservation and we started offering other services. Um, we do a, a lot of historic tax credit applications, national register nominations, um, historic resource, resource surveys. We do um, section 106 mitigation, uh, those types of things. Um, we are based here in Savannah, but we do have projects that are basically within a two hour radius of okay. where we are. We have a couple of projects that are outside of that radius, but we do a lot um, kind of around Chatham County, Statesboro, but also Jacksonville up to Charleston. Um, but we have a few, again, projects outside of that. We do in Gainesville, right. Georgia. I'm starting one in New Bern, North Carolina um, next month. So, but but Savannah is our, is our is your base. headquarters. Yeah. Yeah, we, we travel to... Um, and yeah, it, it does. It, it's, it makes it 
nice that you can be flexible to be able to, and what we do, which is probably a little bit different, it's probably similar, but a little bit different than what you do is like, a lot of times we can take things back to our shop so we can work locally and then just go back to install. Yeah. Um, but um, that it, it helps because there's historic properties everywhere. And so it kind of helps just keep your, keep your base. Um, yeah, it does. We have a good client here that we've worked in. I've worked in Jacksonville and yeah. Savannah and he's like, I've got this project in Denver. We'd really like you to do it. Don't you want to come? I was like, well, sure. I want to go to Denver, <laughs> right? but I kind of want to go there on vacation. Like it's really hard for me to work in, in that far away. Right. Yeah. If you need me in a pinch, I can't be there. And they have a great historic preservation foundation that would love to be a part of this project. Right. So yeah. I, I know my limits. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. <laughs> That's very important. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about um, a few of your favorite or no noteworthy projects. Um, I will say we are very fortunate in that this is a tough question for me because I love all of our projects. We get to work on a lot of fantastic historic properties and learn a lot about them. So some of my favorite projects are the ones that have the best clients. Right. They, uh, we, when we can develop a relationship with our clients that allows both of us to move forward in a good direction, that's the best project to be honest, regardless of the building. Um, but I will say some of my favorite projects to work on are National Register nominations um, because you really get to take a deep dive into the history of the building. And I, like I said before, I'm, I really like to research properties. So, right. but you also get to document them and, and even that in a, to a level that you wouldn't normally do for another project, like right. a survey project or even tax credits, you're still top level with National Register nominations, you really go in deep and you're looking at the fine details. What is the symbology of these things in this building? What is the plan? How did it change over time? But also just, I learned so much about the history. Right. We recently um, nominated two properties for the city of Savannah. Um, they don't necessarily have a rehab plan for these buildings yet. And that does happen a lot with mm -hmm. National Register nominations. Communities or groups know that these buildings are important. So I love it when they take their first step to say, let's just let's just get it on the register so right. that we can show the community this is important. And then we'll come up with a plan after that. So that was the um, Springfield Terrace School, which is actually um, an early 20th century uh, black rural school that was built right outside of the city of Savannah. Um, so that was just really interesting to learn about and the community's excited. And then less than a quarter mile away was the Savannah Waterworks, which is actually an old industrial site for the city built in the 1890s. Um, that is really a landmark, but it's just been run down. The city has been using it for all kinds of uh, services after it closed as the water plant. So it was nice to get those properties listed um, and documented. Those were, yeah, those were really some good noteworthy ones that we oh, recently yeah. did. Yeah. I, I think that that I, I do, I enjoy the history of the properties and being able to, to um, help preserve them at least for, for the time, you know, for our time period so that, that future, future generations can, can appreciate them too. So I think that I, I agree with you. It's hard to pick a favorite. If somebody asks me, I'll like say, well, this is probably the most famous building we've worked on, but you know, it's not necessarily my favorite. <laughs> right. Right. And a lot of that, again, for me, it's the clients like working with the city of Savannah. I felt like they were doing it for the right reasons. 
and we really worked together about expectations and they provided a lot of information. So it was a good relationship, but then also just doing the national register nominations and you, you have to have, that's a long-term vision. Oh. That's going to be on that register probably forever, unless you tear the building down or do right. something really egregious. So to be a part of that is, is really important. It feels, it fills my bucket anyway. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, <clears throat> I feel the same way about the work that we do that like it does, it's a, it fills your bucket. You feel like you're doing something more than just a job. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's important for, for the community and, and, and for our history. So um, what uh, common mistakes do you see when uh, people are approaching an adaptive reuse or a restoration project? Sure. And, um, and when I see some of this, both my husband and myself will get a little bit nervous about taking on a project, but it's when maybe people that haven't worked with older buildings in a while, or they're really dug in about their approach to how property should be rehabbed. And it's basically gutting everything and making it look brand new. We do get a lot of, but we want this to look uniform or we want this, that's going to look bad. I was like, it's not about how it looks. It's really not. It's about, um, it's about the history of the building, preserving the historic fabric, and then adapting it in a way that um, show that lets the historic part take the lead. Yeah. And your design has to be a little bit um, subservient or secondary right. yeah. and yeah. reversible in the end. And I, I have some clients that are fantastic at understanding this and taking it on. And um, I love it when I can get people to, um, this sounds funny, but to preserve like bathroom fixtures oh Usually yeah that's the first thing in the trash but you're like no if you can save this clawfoot tub or this right. sink yeah it really does uh lend to the character of the building and people get excited when they travel if they're coming here for a vacation or whatever to see those features or even in an apartment um because a lot of the projects that we do or at least that i work on not uh-huh. necessarily my partner but um they do have to be income producing. Right. So they're not, the credits. Yeah. they're not always single. We do, I do work on uh, owner occupied buildings mm-hmm. as well, but usually there are some sort of income producing. So they right. are some kind of rental or tenant or, or something. Um, something yeah, like but, but what makes those historic buildings special and what makes people want to live in them are the historic features. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, when you were talking about like the letting the historic part take the lead. I was, I went through a, um, so I'm part-time executive director of the, of our countywide preservation uh, trust. I had been uh, preservation consulting for them and they asked me to be the executive director almost a year ago now. But I, I went through a house that they want to put an easement on over the weekend. And the person that, um, the person that owned the house before them decided that they wanted to take this early 1800s house and put an open floor plan in just on one side in one wing. And they, you know, and I'm just, I'm walking through, I'm like, this, this doesn't even look like the rest of the house still has like the regular layout. And then we have this open, and I'm like, that just makes sense. And then I walk to the back of the house and there's a huge, um, uh, walk-in fireplace and you go up the stairs that are almost like ladder, like it's so steep and it is the most intact servant area that I've seen because it was after Pennsylvania had um, started a gradual abolition. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't a slave area, but that part of the house had never been updated. Like it had 
the sleeping area with the smokehouse right beside it. Like, and I'm like, they, they didn't touch this. Well, you know, and, and, but they, you know, so I was just, I was excited to see that even though they had ripped out the, the, the walls in between the kitchen and the dining room. But, I will yeah. tell, that's, I mean, that, that is such a just current trend. And yeah. I, I think that, um, I think that it's totally fine if people want that concept. I mean, that's great. Yeah. I don't have any problems with it, but it's just sometimes your historic building doesn't lend for that. And right. maybe that's better served in an addition or an adjacent new construction. And, yeah. It's interesting since the pandemic, my husband, he does new construction mm-hmm. again and old buildings, but um, he's seen a lot less of that as people are living, working, schooling in their house, they don't want to all be in the same room together. You can't. (laughs) You don't want to see these people anymore. But so that's, that's to me, that is, that is a trend. And I just, I feel like it's going to go, it's like any other fad that it probably changed over time. And so that's when I struggle with a historic property and I don't know what would best suit it. I always think, well, what did they originally do? And if you get, get closer to thinking about what the original building wanted, then I always feel like that's a safe trend because you're going back to something that it was originally intended for. So it's always going to be compatible for your building as opposed to trying to do something that you saw in a magazine that was really cool, which it could be, but it just might not suit your, your property. No, I agree with you. And I think that, um, I thought your point about it should be in an addition, because I think that if you're going to try to do something modern, it is best to do it in an addition and not make it be the impact on the historic portion. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, so what are some of the trends and challenges that you see in preservation? Sure. Well, I think, um, I think gentrification is just always a challenge in any um, urban area, really, whether it's, historic or not historic. I think you see shifts in, in population and who mm-hmm. moves in and who moves out of community. Right. And that's just, a, that's, I, that's really been a constant struggle yeah. in preservation. It has. And, and I, I think, think really a lot that of that tensions there, it calls us to do something about it. Right. And we'll continue. Yeah, I agree with you. Because sometimes when I hear people discussing gentrification, I'm thinking, well, that's what we do. But it's not intentional. It's just we're going in and helping to revitalize these buildings. And then it does. So, yeah, I I do. There is there's a definite tension there. I agree with you. And and most of the ones that we work in, we, you know, the older and more dilapidated, the better for us but they're usually not occupied. So it's not that we're displacing Displacing, people, but it does change who's moving into the neighborhoods, which does have an effect. And I know it does. And we struggle with that, but I will tell you some of the stuff that I'm really seeing Mm -hmm. um, these past couple of years and the work that we're doing is a response to extreme weather conditions. Oh yes. Yes. And some of that is our location is on the coast. Yes. But I can see it where my mom is in Nashville and they have tornadoes coming through every year. I can see it when I read about what's happening in the West. I talked to a lady the other day who's working in the Mississippi Delta and Dylan, I think that wherever you are, extreme weather is after you and our ability to adapt is, um, I think one of our greatest strengths. I mean, we talk about adaptive reuse and buildings, but really how are we going to adapt to the changes? But we've, taken on two projects. One was, um, I think they're both FEMA funded, 
mm-hmm. and looking at resiliency of historic structures. Uh, right. One was they, they, the state funded a survey of the entire coast of Georgia, all the coastal counties to look at impacts from Hurricane Irma. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to survey that and that was good, but you got to see a lot of damage to right. like small fishing villages really um, that are along the coast. There's a lot of cemeteries, a lot of old sites because that. before we had trains and cars, People we were, were really a, a shipping young. community. Yeah. yeah, that was the big industry. And then what I'm working on now is on uh, Tybee Island, which is a barrier island um, off, off of the coast of Savannah. It's like 12 miles. Savannah's 12 miles inland from the coast. Okay. And um, as a barrier island, it, it gets all of our first hits from the ocean. And it is a developed community since the late 19th century. And they are looking at how can they adapt because they are just this beyond hurricanes it's just the coastal floodings that occur more currently and how are they going to adapt and doing it in a way that um respects the historic character is really hard it is really hard yeah and 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 that 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 is definitely something that i think the preservation community needs to work on because a lot of our historic cities are along coast just because that was what was first developed Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that we all need to work, but it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And and I I had someone on that was talking about, and I had never thought about it. Even like the the other waterways, not just the sea level, but the the rivers and the lakes rising. And yeah, <clears throat> yeah my my dad's family is from Oregon, and that I've that coastline has changed in my lifetime, and you can see it. It's 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 very dramatic, and you know it it is. It's it's it. We need to we need to work to to preserve the buildings, but also work to mitigate you know the the cause of of all these all these changes. Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting you talk about the coastline changing, and I, I think development. We know now not to develop our wetlands and marshes, right. but we didn't really do that in the mid twentieth century, no. which actually impacted our it impacts our development today because these places that acted as a sort of sponge to soak up the water, they're gone now. And so our historic properties are really the ones that are the lowest lying. They're, they're soaking up most of the water and struggling because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that's a, you're the first person that's brought that up as a challenge. I've talked to other people about, you know, the effects of, of the, of the rising water, um, like as a, a podcast discussion, but you're the first one to bring it up as a challenge. And I agree with you. It's a, it's a major challenge. So um, is there anything that you thought of while we were talking that you want to share before we kind of do our wrap-up questions? Um, well, I, I think I talked a little bit about historic tax credits uh-huh. that I really would like to encourage people to take advantage of historic tax credits more than they do. I, I don't, people don't always know that they're eligible for these tax credits. Um, and in Georgia, we actually have both a state credit and a federal credit, and our state credit does apply to owner-occupied properties. Oh, that's great. There are limitations on it, but still, I, whether you hire us as a consultant or not, I just re- encourage anybody that's considering a, a big renovation, it does have to be a substantial renovation or right. rehabilitation to a building to take advantage of it, to take advantage of it. It is right. just out there for you, and it helps it helps offset a lot of the people complain sometimes that to do things the right way, it's very expensive. We get that a lot with window replacement or roof replacement. Right. 
Yes, and these credits are there to help offset those costs and encourage um, property owners to do it the right way, to not um, make changes, like so the open, blowing out all right. the interior yeah. walls. It, it, it allows you to keep the plan in place or requires that you do really. Right. Um, and in turn, it gives you this, this money, which you can either use against your own income tax returns, or in many cases you can syndicate and sell them for cash on the dollar. So um, it's just a really good incentive that a lot, there's, I just see projects all the time. I'm like, I hope they're getting credits. I hope they're applied for credits because that's what it's there for. And if we don't exercise it, it's like a muscle. They are quick to take it away. They are. Yeah. I just saw, I can't remember, I can't remember what state, but one state just took theirs away. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I, and I can't, I, I, well, I don't want to, because I can't remember, but I saw it like on a preservation, like bulletin that one of the states was losing their, their state tax credit. Well, I'll tell yeah. you, I'm, I'm excited to sit here today and say that Georgia has the credit because two weeks ago it was on the, oh. they passed legislation last year to end the credit. Yeah. Um, this, this tax year. So they just extended it and I'm really oh. excited. So yeah. it's around for another five years. Oh, for, that's good news. Provided the governor signs the bill, but I think he yeah. will because it passed both house, both um, branches. Yeah. But um, yeah, if, if we don't, if we don't advocate for it, it will yeah. go away. And even in 2017, when they did the big federal tax overhaul, they did strip some of the federal tax credit away. Right. There used to be a 10% credit just for um, buildings that weren't listed in the register, right. but were older. They like had to be built by before 1935 that yeah. you could take this credit without really a lot of restriction. And that was, that was taken away. Um, so yeah, I just encourage people to use these. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think that that's something that, that, you know, people need to realize is available, available to them. It's a little bit extra work, but you can hire someone to, to do it for you. And, and you'll, you know, it's, it, you'll benefit both your project and, and, and you will benefit mm-hmm. from, from it. So I agree with you um, on that. Is there anything, is that, is that, is there anything else that you would like to promote? No, I mean, that's okay. just, that's okay. my big push yeah, really good. there. Okay. And how can our listeners contact you? Um, probably email is the best <laughs> way. Um, we have a, a great website where you can find out more about what we do at wardarch.com. Um, but my email address is sward at wardarch.com. Um, it's probably the best way to, to get in touch with us. Okay. Um, and I'll make sure that those are both on our site where the web where the podcast is, is listed. And so if somebody's listening and they didn't get a chance to write it down, they can just go over to our site and, and find your, your episode. Yeah. And we're, we, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. You can just uh, follow us at uh, word arch prez. Okay. And is that your uh, Facebook also? Yes. Okay. Very good. We'll, we'll make sure those are listed too. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. I enjoyed our conversation. Me too. That was good. Thank you for Thank having you. me. I appreciate, I just appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, 
visit practicalpreservationservices.com.